when you put your hands in it, then you realize, well, this is something can grow out of this. It's just amazing to me when it really comes down to it. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Francis and Thomason. You may know Francis from such bands as The Failures, Midnight Leg, and their current project, The Joy Machine. And also, you may know Thomason from such bands as Hockey NM, Feed the Monarch, and of course, The Joy Machine. So, Francis and Thomason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yes, it's really exciting to be here. Excellent. Very excited, yes heard a lot of great things about this place today we're going to be listening to the song herd immunity from the self-titled album the joy machine and so without further ado let's listen to the song Thank you. 
Welcome back. So my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the music or was it the lyrics? Well, for me, it was the music. It was definitely the guitar riff. That's just the way it came up. Do you typically write music first? Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time alone in corners with my acoustic guitar, like all hours of the night. And anything and everything kind of just conjures up a melody in my head. It's like even without a guitar, just they keep running through my head yeah, and it just comes out. So, Interesting. So if you typically write the songs on an acoustic, when do you decide to make the transition between an electric like the, the you want the sound to be an electric yeah. versus what was originally written through an acoustic because yeah. i noticed on this album that you do have acoustic parts going on in so there was a decision made at some point so i'm just curious how that yeah yeah it's a funny thing about it. this particular song herd immunity was one of the ones where i started playing the melody and humming it my girlfriend heard it and, I'm, and i just started playing it the next day and she's like you never do that with songs like where you're just immediately jump into the electric realm i guess i don't know why it was this one it's just i think sometimes i just make those decisions randomly so <laughs> okay fair really, enough fair really enough yeah just a feeling one of the things that i do notice about this song is there is the the melody that is is throughout the piece and it like weaves in and out and then there's counter melodies that are going on in there the way that you use it throughout the piece is interesting because i at first when you hear it you think of a very like a folk melody or something that's passed down between people it feels old and i mean that in a good way like it's something that somehow reaches people in a i don't know how to say like in a very like specific way of like almost like a spiritual or something like that so um so i'm just curious like was that is that the melody that you're referring to that you started off with yeah or did it just okay that that that, uh just the thing I'm kind of singing throughout the entire verse is where it's da da da, yeah da, yeah da, that whole that whole part. It's like a tribal feeling, yeah. To me. Well, and and one of the things that I notice is that you use that at the beginning. It seems like it's very lulling, but at the end, it's very forceful. You know, that's the backup instrumentation that's bringing that all around. When did you start adding the lyrics to the melody? Like, when did you realize that it was going to be? herd immunity or or like when did you start getting the concept you know <laughs> i was working you know i was i was working at a psychiatric hospital as one does you know uh, i was sitting in a little bathroom the size of a closet small closet basically and there's this poster on the wall so it's a hospital and it just this is pre-pandemic so there's a picture of a bunch of animals together and they're trying to promote to get the flu vaccine right and it's just herd immunity and it just got me thinking about how we are very animalistic we're connected with nature the tribal kind of thing i guess that we kind of mentioned before but also just there's a safety in numbers yet you lose things by by giving up part of yourself but you also gain so much so there's just like the interplay between those two things yeah a light bulb just went off in my head that there's safety in the numbers but also that you lose something in the numbers like a few things that pop into my head is yes there's safety in numbers but there's also like less accountability in numbers you can have mob mentality as, as they say so i i don't know that's i double-edged swords right yeah sort of thing and i think there's there's that throughout the whole album honestly about the, the dynamic the contradictions of humans you know we're all on planet earth and and we are individuals within this the group and and you know there is a safety in getting in this case the actual vaccine what that poster kind of represented to me was not so much the you know biological or medical reasoning behind that but we're, we're kind of delving more into like this 
the cultural anthropological kind of meaning of how we interact in the society as individuals and there's interplay between that like we you i guess there's some sort of interesting quote that i probably could look up right now but i'm gonna paraphrase it you can't be a god or a, a beast like you can't be a beast or a god like you can't totally separate yourself from society otherwise you would be a beast or a god i guess it's kind of the idea behind that so that's the it leaves you in a place of just you know constant balancing act between um those yeah. roles i guess uh, thomas and i i wanted to talk about kind of your contributions to to this song and like how that came about like how how did you and francis begin collaborating yeah so it was actually just as simple as i was looking for a band to collaborate with i had fairly recently graduated high school and i had never been in a band before i had jammed with friends and stuff but I never actually like played any shows or done anything really serious. I saw an ad on Craigslist and it was just for champagne band looking for drummers. So I started talking to Francis via email, sent me some songs to learn and, and we started working together and Francis was just very gracious because I was going in with very little experience, just like a year of high school concert band, essentially. So they were very patient in helping me to learn the songs and kind of teaching me the ropes of the music world in general, the local scene. So I'm very grateful for Francis in that regard and really launching me into the Champaign-Urbana and really just music in general. When this song was being written, how did you contribute to the writing process? Even though The Joy Machine is very much a collaborative project, I wouldn't say that we have like a band leader or anything like that. But at the same time i do see it as these songs are coming from francis for the most part i tend to serve the music when i am writing try to take what francis is doing and see how i can complement it how i can elevate it where i can but in the end just being faithful to the artistic product that francis has shared with us it's a labor of love so i i kind of conceive and have the child and then we help raise the child i guess into right. into yeah, some yeah. sort of you know shape and form it was a totally fruitful experience to just work with different people and have different views on music that intersection between that is what i want to add to what you just said it's like the enjoyability of those memories working together and this song in particular it's really gone through like a metamorphosis through the time that we've been playing it because the most of the time that i've been in the band we've been in the pandemic of course i joined the band in 2020 right before you know, everything kind of hit the fan. So we had a lot of downtime in terms of we weren't playing shows or we didn't really have much else to do except for sit down and tweak the songs. And so initially the structure was pretty similar, but I definitely had a much more straightforward drum beats and the song was a little bit slower. There wasn't quite as much, I guess, variance in it. As time went on, we started adding like the more broken up pauses in it. And then we added like the interlude sections. But I think that where it really changed the most was actually I took a about a year break from the band and they got a new drummer luke allison during that time they were again tweaking and reworking the music and so and eventually luke ended up leaving the band and i decided to come back to the band francis sent me over the recordings for the self-titled album in the state that uh, they were in at that point and herd immunity really especially blew me away out of all the songs that he sends because it had sounded so different from when i had last worked on it and it just really blew me away like with all of the different guitars and uh, counter melodies and uh, i really like what luke did with the drums and giving it a bit more of a ballady feel to it that's kind of just been a thing with my time in the joy machine in general is just kind of combining my own musical ideas and backgrounds. There's actually been four drummers in the Joy Machine, and <laughs> this one was just me and Luke were the only two to work on it, but there's other songs where there's been literally all four drummers have contributed to the song in one way or another, so 
There's a lot of DNA in just the drums that isn't just mine. Yeah, I think I'm a drummer sometimes too. So maybe there's been five drummers. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Nice. I, I find it really interesting that, of course, there's you do so many plays with the words that in some ways you have to look at the lyrics in words to know exactly which you mean. Because when you say faith in sanity versus faith insanity, unless you're really paying attention to just a little bit of the space that you don't notice the difference. You know, one of the, the themes that I like to bring up on the podcast is I find it fascinating when something is repeated, but yet somehow the, either the context changes or like just one word changes the whole context. And and one good example of this is during your, your bridge where it's, and thank you for labeling these because I always <laughs> do a terrible job of being yeah. like, well, you know, the bridge, they're like, that's the pre-chorus. I'm like, it's I'm sorry. constant debate um, in my own head too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it does enough of a, of a change to, to set, set up for the chorus. And it, it starts with the reflecting out the window and then the vital signs seem stable. The one I guess two slash one words that <laughs> there's got to be a better way to say that is filling children with cocktails. And then the second time the bridge is used, it's filling children with cocktails. Have you always found yourself like playing with words in that way? Like that yeah. changed the context? Well, I used yeah. to be an English teacher in Shanghai, China for quite a few years and, and, and teaching children basically from the ages of like three years old for the first couple of years and then to college level just constantly like going through like words that i wouldn't you know most people probably wouldn't normally like re repetitively consider the meaning the minute detail of the linguistic contextual kind of placement of that word kind of just changes like you said the, the entire meaning of it the context is everything for a lot of language right so right. yeah i mean I, I totally get what you're saying and yes i do i think about that a lot so <laughs> but I, I i don't know if i do it you know achieve what i'm going for i mean even now i'm like um maybe maybe i could have done this <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? yeah well but, it, yeah i think that to me has become one of the harder things in songwriting is like what do you cut out because sometimes you, sometimes you do have a song where it's just like the ideas are so clear that it's just a straight line and then other times it's just like, well, I could do this and I could do this. And yeah. by the end, you, you have like a 20 minute song and it's just like, the, nobody's going to want to listen to this because it goes all over the place well, instead the of being thorough. You the, know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Herd immunity, I like H-E-A-R-D. Like uh, half the time I, I think I'm, I mean that like for some of those lines when I'm actually seeing it, but I didn't write it down that way. So okay like that you've heard about immunity yeah i've heard about immunity yes. but do we actually have it you know i don't know yeah yeah you said that you started off with the melody which we kind of discussed earlier but then when does the bridge and the chorus come in in terms of you know how do you round that out or how do you transition yeah i think the, the initial melody of the verse came first and then they're just variations on that melody kind of because i do play that kind of leady kind of guitar melody and it's not exactly right what i'm humming or saying it, it's just, and then it's, i layer on you, i don't know if you listen closely uh, there, like you said there's layers of other guitars under there one of them is just mimicking the vocal melody and then another one's kind of just playing in between as a variation of almost i don't know a spanish ballad kind of thing when people ask me 
what a like a lot of the time when it comes to to music it's like well just show me so it's just like da 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 it's hard for me to oh yeah yeah okay it's only on like the second verse but anyway it's in there somewhere (laughs) right right yeah so can taste it yeah yeah what did the inspiration of the chorus come from like what because you had the here all day and night and then you have the heel all day and night and then you have the kneel all day and night which is again that whole what's the word for when they the words that sound homonym sounding mm. it's not necessarily these the same word or even spelled the same or exactly pronounced the same but they sound very hononymic is that even a word i don't know do you know what i mean yeah. so you you've got the hear heel and kneel yeah i took a poetry class in high school i guess <laughs> <laughs> that would be my answer to that one I, I don't know yeah i think there's a thematic thing going on in this song and i don't know in some state of subconscious scrawlings i mean it it takes me a while to get to the point where like i literally finished the lyrics the day of the recording of doing Mm. this wow most of the songs so it's it's almost like i hold out and hold back judgment right it's just to keep like this sense of excitement to the very end you know what i'm saying and then just the day of recording, it's just like, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is. Procrastination for creativity's sake, I guess, or the excitement of creativity's sake. Part of what I love about this show is the discussion about people's writing styles and like how they all vary. Honestly, doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. And like, right, in exactly. the end, you have, you have a finished thing that you're happy with. I and like so I, I just find this fascinating because for me... I, I would have to work on the words and then make sure that that works out all right. And then, I, I don't know, but, but to be able to finish it just before you record it is kind of an anomaly in my mind. But I could see where that would work because you've just written the words and you're still enthusiastic about them. You're like, I... Yeah, there's an emotionality yeah. to them. So, when I, I think the goal is just when they finally get recorded, it's just there's still a freshness to the, the tune, you know? I can. Uh-huh. I, I'm not tired of it. Like, like you right. said earlier. Like some musicians come in here and they're like, "Don't play this song." I've heard it too many times. It's like I try to intentionally not finish it until the very end, so I don't feel like that when I right. record it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It is a little bit also distressing, <laughs> if that makes sense. I want to ask about a few of the images that you had. Some of the imagery of the reflecting out the window and back to the in the distance, the fox whales filling children with cocktails versus when you say later filling children with cocktails and i'm just curious where that so what were you, what were you envisioning when you wrote those two lines what what were you directly i mean i i can tell you what my interpretation of yeah if that would what's help. your interpretation so that's probably that's um, closer to the truth probably okay <laughs> <laughs> when i hear the filling children with cocktails and filling children with cocktails i'll, I'll initially talk about the cocktails and i feel like that's one of the standard um i don't know that that we um from all the media that we have that we receive is always focused on you know what some refer to as copaganda which is that we celebrate the the cop that you know breaks the rules just to get the job done and really you know, in reality, um, if someone were to do that, well, not that someone doesn't do that, but when a person or a cop or whatever does that, it's horrifying. It's horrifying that someone would just be like, no, I don't need to worry about your rights. I just need to get justice. 
And then I think about the filling children with cocktails. There's there's a few interpretations that come through my head. And am I going too long? Am no, I, no, oh, okay. it's um, fascinating. I, I kind of lean towards the idea of. I think it's funny that we have things such as like the Shirley Temple or, or these non-alcoholic beverages that sometimes are given to children to make it like this socially acceptable thing that, you know, when everybody's drinking, then you have to have something that resembles or is like a cocktail. So in some ways, I'm thinking about how also how we kind of train people up to um, look at alcohol in a, in a, in a certain way. But I, I feel like maybe I've gone off on a tangent on that, but um, a little bit. Yeah. But, but a I good mean, one. Um, I like it, but it, it kind of goes back. I, I, I did draw a false equivalency between, you know, telling, telling children cocktails and filling children with cocktails as, as this, I want to say kind of an indoctrination that, that is part of our society that, you know, there's certain things that are considered socially acceptable and things that we are kind of trained to respond with and kind of a, oh, what's, what's the word? But that's all you've experienced them as, and you've been told these tales for so long, or you've been shown something for so long that you think that that's the only way to see them. So I guess that was, that was my random interpretation, maybe? Yeah, I mean, all of those things you said, I think, can apply. That's, oh, I mean, that's, uh, I think of it the same kind of, I mean, just, we were talking about wordplay and, and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of different meanings to the word cocktail, too. I mean, it's not just alcoholic beverage. So, you know, if you're listening, get a thesaurus and look up the word cocktail and you'll understand what we're saying, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, that's how I, I mean, that's kind of how I look at just words in general. I'm interested in why you chose the, in the distance, the fox whales. I mean, there could have been any one syllable animals that you could have put in there but i'm kind of curious i mean i've heard what it sounds like when a fox whale it's actually a little terrifying i don't mm -hmm. know if you've it's it sometimes it sounds like a baby crying or so it's it's i was just curious if that was part of your um interpretation or why you picked fox i i i don't like to tell people what to think about it but i but i will say but i will say this I, not to impose my view on on anything too much because to a certain extent when i when it was written when it was done is that's the done it could mean something to just anybody differently right. you know what is a fox traditionally within our society represent is kind of what i generally had in mind i mean i don't know mother goose comes to mind i don't know just right, stories right, right. within broader I guess American culture. There's a lot of different variations on the connotations of what that means. Even like with as it applies to human. If you call somebody a fox, I mean, are there, I don't know. There's just it's just used. It's used right in, no. disparagingly, and it's also used like you know, in a it's kind of deceptive. Honestly, I think this is a good time for me to just mention what I think my favorite part of the song is. I think the section right after the first chorus where it's kind of this eruption and there's a forcefulness to it and when i mentioned earlier that i feel that that melody takes a different characteristic theme or impulsion to me that's when that theme darkens it starts off a little mysterious a little bit like a lullaby but then when it changes at that part and the instrumental part just kind of comes together and the melody is back. It has a foreboding and longing and like a sadness about it that wasn't there before, I don't think. So I, I think to me, 
it does a very good job of like if you're looking at it from telling a story it's like you've you've kind of ramped up to this part where okay this is the bad situation this is going to be the bad part and it's going to get worse and and i feel like that just sets the mood and that's probably my favorite part of the song so I don't, Thomason, if you'd like to. That's my favorite part as well. And that's something that was added after I initially went on hiatus from the band. And I just loved like how it went from being like a, a pretty dynamically stable song when it was initially written to something just having a lot more dynamics and having that build up in it. And when I play it live, I'm crashing eighth notes on my crash ride and I'm throwing in fills in between. And uh, I'm just trying to do as much as I can do to just really amp up the drama of that part of the song. So I just really enjoy playing that part. I, I'm always grinning when I'm playing it. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to agree with both of you on that, honestly. <laughs> I, I like the dynamics. There's something odd to me sitting here saying how much I like my songs. <laughs> like, Oh, you know, I mean. Uh, but uh, but I do like, I mean, I like it. So, yeah. yes, I do. I, I, it's there's a That part's good, yeah. I know that you hesitate to tell people a little bit, like, you're not necessarily telling people what to think, but sharing your insights. Like, it was interesting when you said something about you thought about how, you know, the good and bad sides to being in a society, in being part of a herd. Um, when that light bulb went off, it's like the whole piece kind of opened up even more for me. It's okay to to share because I feel like that, I still feel like some of my interpretations will still stand and... The great thing about the human brain is you can have those two interpretations like coexist in your brain and it mm. still means that the song can have life to it and still evolve as someone else experiences new things in order to interpret songs. I'm just throwing that out because I know when you keep doing this, you know, you will probably get more interviews. So, <laughs> I figure <laughs> okay. It's, it's okay. And I think that that's, it gives people inspiration on their own to write something else. But anyway, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I just struggle to... To, to get get to this fine, you know, it's uh, it's good, it's bad kind of thing with right. uh, with the songs because in my mind it's constantly about progression, honing the rock, I guess, or, or being the river that hones the rock or something like this. It's like it's constantly flowing, so it's kind of like there's no time to like. I guess sometimes you need huh. to anchor your weights, you know, and, and stop and let and smell the roses. Yeah, sure, but I feel like it's a, it's an evolving process, and, and that's an uncomfortability about it. I enjoy listening to these things. I love. Uh, crying and listening to my own music every once in a while like especially yeah. right after finishing it it's like it's finally done it's a release we actually use that word right it's a release we've released yes the the music you know it's like it's it's been behind closed doors and now it's released you know exactly so, so catharsis yeah so i guess i kind of want to ask one last question is why was this song chosen as your favorite song that you wanted to talk about today thomason and i both discussed kind of like we went through a list and kind of like uh, this was the one that stuck out. Had a f few people say they they enjoyed it. Um, that was what I thought, and I, I enjoy it. We've like we've said. Um, what was what do you remember? Why, yeah, how I think we, it's how we for, chose? for me. It's also partially just because it's a song that has changed and evolved a lot throughout the time that we've been playing it. I think it just kind of illustrates like how the Joy Machine has like a bit of a legacy with it. It's certainly not just my drums. There's like. There's just so many like different drummers, especially, but people in general who have really gone into the creation of the songs. The layers, the depth of I was even talking about the layers, the depths of meaning to me. Writing it, the emotionality behind it as the con it was conceived, and just the end result. I guess um, the, still getting an emotional feeling out of it to, when I listen to it. Mm. So some of the other tracks are are great too. Just this one in particular had a, a lot of 
emotionality to it i felt that i, I want to listen to it more than once i guess <laughs> nice yeah champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support jubilee cafe Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Thomason... What is your favorite Champagne Urbana venue? Ooh, my favorite Champagne Urbana venue. That is tough. I would say my favorite is Waluigi's Mansion in Urbana. It's a little house venue run by like a really great group of college students. I just really love playing house shows because there's just a certain like informality and camaraderie about it. It's less intimidating to play than some of the established venues. You just really feel the energy of the audience and like it feels like you're more connected, I guess, like because they're right in front of you and everyone is being very interactive and there's kind of like an unspoken rule where it's like the audience is both there to hype up the performer while the performer is there to entertain the audience. The shows that I've played there have been very, very fun. Oh, I would agree with everything that Thomason just said. Yeah, really just all of the house venues in Champaign-Urbana, I just really love like Animal House, Spice Rack. They're just always a good time to either perform or to attend. I went to a really great show at Animal House where Catfish Nation and the Moodport closed off that show, which was really wild the band that may or may not be the dark alter ego of decapitation in the food courts which is i don't know if you've been following that story but i'm not familiar with that story but i mean i'm, I'm familiar with uh, decapitation in the food court but i just opened instagram one day and everyone was talking about catfish nation and the mood port and how they were playing a show at animal house and they released this lengthy statement about how they were here to save the music scene from fake emos like decapitation in the food courts, which got a lot of people really up in arms. So Animal House actually had to put out a statement that said, like, guys, it's the same band. They're just playing a prank. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the stranger things to come out of the scene this year, I think. Nice. But it's such a fun show. That's one thing that I do love about this scene is that, like, as much as I try to pay attention to every single thing that's going on, there's always other things going on, which is just... I don't know. I'm I'm glad post-pandemic or now that things are opening back up that there's more things going on. And the fact that I can't keep up with everything is kind of awesome. Francis, go ahead and if you... Oh, okay. Well, in general, like the, the music scene, if we're, if we're just talking strictly of venues, I think it's an interesting area for playing shows. Being in the Midwest, we have all four seasons, for example. And I think that affects what's venues doing what and how hard they're putting out the shows versus holding back. It is a lot of dependency on external influences. I don't know if about dependency, but more like it, it 
it certainly influences the ebb and flow of the music scene in this area. You look outside of Champagne, you you see cornfields and silence, and the, but then you go inside Champagne Urbana, and, and there's again just a network of just students come in part of the year and then they leave and then it becomes i guess local venue scene uh less i think less house shows generally during the summer i don't know i haven't noticed yeah definitely being a college town has really affected the underground scene in particular and and that the house shows stop for the summer for for the most part and it's also just because like people will come to university and then they'll graduate so it really kind of forces like a very i guess dynamic atmosphere where it's a band might only be around for like a year or two before members have moved on or the lineup has changed or the band has moved away entirely there's definitely always like new bands coming and going like all the time it's been interesting to see like in the years that have been playing around here yeah and for me it's also been interesting just to see the bridge between how university interacts with the music scene that's kind of going on there versus not versus but more like overlap between that and the uh, local venues and how they work together or don't for example, right. I've always thought it'd be great to just have more of that, like overlap. I'm not saying that there's not, there just, it could be more, I suppose. Right. My view. There used to be a thriving on-campus scene. You had Mabel's and Brothers, and I'm blanking on a few others, but like they were pretty vibrant venues and, you, and even like Canopy Club, you know, those are all kind of in the sphere of the campus town. And then you've got house venues, which are kind of fringe that can be slightly in between the downtown areas of either Urbana or Champaign. And then you've got Champaign and Urbana as their own venues. And sometimes there's just not enough of a connect. And it makes me sad when I see bands that only play house venues or bands that only play venues in either Champaign or Urbana or, you know, where, where, Mm -hmm. And, and then even into campus town, not enough overlap of yeah, there, yeah, there musicians. Yeah, could be, could be more. And we kind of, you kind of touched on it, maybe a comfort level kind of thing. But it, it's, it really is an anthropological kind of study that I'm sure that's already been d- being done somewhere where there's a replenishment of new people coming through the university that influence the music scene. And it's just constantly this in and ebb and flow and in and out of this oh, area, yeah. I think, which is a great thing. I mean, it's it's... It's an interesting thing too. It's like complex. It's complex, and I think that's also the beauty of it. Is you know, there's there's a lot of good venues around here that are that are kind of bridging that gap. I think like the Rose Bowl's been having shows where they're kind of showcasing more of the underground scene here, which I think we need more of that. I guess that's kind of what we're saying. Love all those newer bands that are coming through. I'm sure we're gonna have many, many more this year. Right? I mean, coming right. I do think that the university plays a very vital role in terms of what keeps our scene fresh in so many ways you know exactly what you were saying that that rotation but that it influences some maybe even some of the bands that have been around for quite some time where they're just like oh wow i did you know that's that's a new sound that's something that i should try or even if it's as little as like oh it's interesting what that sound that they were able to get out of their guitar or, or you know what i mean so there's influences that are constantly rotating and churning and and I, I i feel like i just reiterated what you just said but anyway here's my uh, the question that i like to round out the the scene uh with and and that's like what makes a good music scene and so um whoever wants to kind of make a suggestion about what makes a good music scene or maybe even what champagne urbana could do better the best thing a music scene can do is just to be, I guess, a supportive environment for all the artists and, 
and uh, attendees alike. I think that it's just really important that shows are accessible to both all genres and uh, types of performers, like all diversities of audience members. It can definitely be easy to just start booking like the same core bands and uh, the same core audiences will come out to see those same core bands. And then there's just like a whole group of people that might feel that they're not seeing themselves represented in the shows that are being set up. Uh, definitely more that can be done in Champaign-Urbana about promoting diversity of people and diversity of performers. But I think that there's also definitely really great strides being made, like especially in the underground scene, to make sure that all types of music are really being represented in the shows. I think accessibility, but but also the opportunity that it can actually allow for exposure for all, as, as Thomas was said, all bands of all shapes and forms, working together more, I guess, as much as possible to, you know, if there's an established band, as you mentioned, I mean, it's kind of like... You know, musicians have to stick together, I guess. Artists right. need to, in my view, stick together in our, our particular broader society, which I guess is the music scene here as well. It's encompassed by this business culture idea of business above all is, is sort of the American kind of foundational kind of view of this capitalistic society we live in. I, not to get too deep into that, but, sure. you know, it art is, to me... a again this is just a broader answer to your, your sure. question less valued in american society than it is in say like i don't know amsterdam or france for example i mean or canada even i mean there, there's just more support i think for the arts i've never lived in those societies this is what i've read so again it's just this is just my thoughts on it and even if it's not more opportunities there i think there's a lot of other ways to provide support for independent artists rather than just relying on spotify to right. reap the benefits of just using your creations that you've worked on and there is a, a level of corporatism that kind of overarches a lot of opportunities it's it's almost to the level of like in the same way that the united states protects oil interests that these other nations can protect art interests in in much the same fervor i mean not declaring war or anything but still you know what i mean like i i th there's a certain imbalance about that and the hoarding and of opportunities say. when it seems as if opportunities are being hoarded by one particular clique or sect or area or whatever over and it almost pitting pitting areas against one another for whatever reason i mean maybe it's just insecurity or right. you know again it's it's sort of feels <laughs> not well right. or, but uh just as much as i want to play a show with us playing the show I i'm almost find just as much happiness and just saying hey this is a venue that uh, that i've been at and i would like to connect you with them because i like your band or I like your music and i think you would be great working with people right. to help them develop the opportunities only helps the community which helps everybody at the end of the day it's like constantly passing that information and all this stuff along networking i don't even like the word networking because it almost feels like you know I'm, I'm wanting something from this like a selflessness and i'd rather just give uh, opportunities and and enjoy seeing people grow is, is nice sometimes. Yeah, and that's definitely something because I handle a lot of booking both for both for this band and for my other musical projects and whenever I'm setting up the shows and deciding which other artists are going to be playing with us, it's really important to me that we're not just picking the same bands that always play or the, just the names that are going to get more people into the show. I'm looking at smaller bands that I saw like 
at a house show that don't have much of a following yet, but make really good music. I try to like and bring hip hop artists on or electronic artists or uh, not just like other punk rock bands and just try to promote like because I think that it helps everyone when everyone's looking out for each other. Like Francis said, it's just really nice to see like these bands going on to do great things and to know that like maybe you had like one small part in, in helping them to achieve that, you know? Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Thomason, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Honestly, there's not a lot outside of music, and it was really hard for me to think of an answer. But I'd say that something that I'm definitely passionate about that's unrelated to music is libraries. I've had the opportunity to work in several local libraries, and just realizing how much they are intertwined with community and how being public organizations like everything that is being done is in the mind of how can we help the members of our community our most vulnerable members and the community overall like there's no pretense of how can we make the most profit or how can we can we promote our brand the best it's truly like selfless environments and it's just very i find it very fulfilling and very uplifting that there are organizations in our society still that are existing purely for helping people. Do you work for a library now or? Uh, yes, I work for a library in one of the surrounding small towns. Started working there like right out of high school in 2018. I just happened to see a job posting and I applied and I was the only person who applied. So I got the job, even though I completely bungled the interview <laughs> and I hadn't really. It sounds like you aced the interview. <laughs> <laughs> you could, I mean, that's a matter of perspective, I guess, but. <laughs> you got the job. I had gone to that library, like, in childhood, and I and libraries in general, like, especially Champaign and Urbana, so I already had a fondness for them, but it was through my time there, and I still work there to this day, about just over four years later now. It just really opened my eyes to that whole world that I just didn't really realize just how beneficial it was. Because especially, like, in today's world, where we're seeing just an increasing class divide and so many things are are being locked behind paywalls and so many things are just becoming less accessible in a way. There are fewer public spaces where you can just exist without having to pay a toll, essentially. Having a place that's very much an equalizer where you can be safe, you can have access to internet resources, people who can help you, literacy resources for children, job resources for adults. Libraries have just grown into this very all-encompassing thing, for better or for worse, for kind of helping to bridge the gap in between the, I guess, haves and have-nots, if we're lack of a better word. The idea of banning books just kind of <laughs> boils my... It's just, oh my gosh, don't it, even get me started. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I just, good or bad, like, the thoughts and ideas of a person written down that someone else can pick up 
and experience or or go through or visualize and i mean not to equate this specifically with music as well because you you pick up someone's song and you experience it and you good or bad and you you learn and you it's an exercise in empathy it's an exercise in stepping into someone else's shoes and i just i don't know i i totally i i love that that's a great answer yeah that's a really cool way of thinking about it Francis, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? I was thinking about this. Again, it's kind of hard because the first thing I thought of was movies because I like I collect a lot of different movies. I put them into categories of directors. Anyway. I would um, disagree with your categorization system as a librarian, but we can get into that. Okay, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Another so, day, straight alphabetical. Straight alphabetical, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Based on the last name of the director uh, or the act. It's kind of like just, you know, this is my this is my thing, so I can do whatever I want, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we can open it up to the community, though. They can come in and come into my right. library. So now come on your phones. How does this make any sense? Well, ask, ask Francis. He'll, he is the card catalog. Um, I'm getting off topic. You know, well, uh, it's fun. Well, now I'm going to get off topic. It, it reminds me of the scene in High Fidelity where he's just like, "Wait, well, it's not al- It's not alphabetical. It's not by artist. It's what?" what? He's like, "It's autobiographical." Because I have to remember that I bought this album after breaking up with you know. And <laughs> yes. So I love. But anyway, like that. so, yeah, that's uh, idiosyncratic, right? It's it's really just my things. So. Yeah. Anyway, that thing. I, I love. I love to take photographs. This is something I like. Like editing images and that sort of thing. I like making these flyers. And this is sort of interconnected with the music. And sure. Do a lot of gardening at home with my girlfriend. So. Well, so go back to movies. I mean, is there a particular genre or like style or something that you? Stanley prefer? Kubrick. That's oh. the only thing I have to say. Yeah. So it's Stanley Kubrick. Broad strokes of his just artistry is just looking at the way he cuts things and compared to like Spielberg, who like the two obvious ones, I guess. It's Spielberg's kind of like the we were talking about David Bowie, right? Right, David, right, right. He's the David Bowie thought. Used tech, a lot of technology, a lot of thought, a lot of detail. The story arc is very intricate versus like Kubrick, which there's like one half and the second half. If you look at a lot of those films, it's like really broad strokes. I don't know how else to say it, but yeah, love Kubrick. What do you get into with photography? What do you take pictures of? Or It's it's a, it's really just every, anything and everything. It's it's just a hobby kind of thing. Gotcha. I mean, I can't really say I'm It's just a hobby. Yeah. Okay. And then gardening? That's something my you, girlfriend really loves to do. And, and, and it's just nice to see her fervor and like interest and like connection with the earth that I, in a way that I, ha- again, just it's, it's not something that I've gotten so in depth with. It's more like I've seen her doing it and I've gotten involved with it. It really relaxes the person just sticking your hands in the dirt, I guess, hmm. and moving yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that there, it's an organism that you're actually It's good to go outside and touching. touch grass every now and then. Well, yeah. the, you know, it, it, it's just sitting out there, right? The dirt. And uh, when you put your hands in it, then you realize, well, this is something can grow out of this. It's just amazing to me when it really comes down to it. Like, it's uh, fertile fertile land, you know? Or you could even be more morbid. It's just all the dead things that have been before me. Well, yeah, but, that's yeah. the life cycle, right? Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. whole fascinating thing about it. It's a big life cycle speaking yeah. of which there's a cycle to you know this is again part of these thematic things in my head about it's it's a re revigorating and, and recycling and re growth and renewal process every year thomason and 
Francis, thank you for being on the show and telling me all about your song, Herd Immunity, your ideas about the scene. And I've, I've really enjoyed talking with different people and, and it's always refreshing to have people come in and tell me new things and your favorite non-musical things. So I really appreciate you both coming on and talking with me. Thanks for having us. Yes, this was really fun. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Francis. And this is Thomason. Reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) South Beaker on the inside. Perfect.